Shalom, and uh, we are here to uh, share this week's lecture called Being Special. I'm going to go ahead and place within the comments right now the uh, handout notes for uh, anyone that would like to go ahead and print it up. And um, we have there just a couple of notes in the handouts, so um, you'll be able to go ahead and follow along. Okay, so um, as you know, we always go ahead and give a modern day issue and then to go ahead and discuss it on a mystical level and then from the mystical level to come ahead and bring it back to the modern day issue in a most practical way. That's what um, mystical issues are really all about in Judaism. It's not about becoming abstract and mystical, rather it's about learning how to bring things into our practical life, make a practical differences in our relationships and in the way we serve Hashem, God, in a most practical level. So on that being said, what is today's practical modern day issue that we want to explore through the lenses of the mystical teachings of Judaism and Hasidus? So people have a yearning to be special. Well, society does impose an often misconstrued sense of what we want to be special at, such as, for example, um, being a special professional sports star versus being a special outstanding teacher, or as being a Hollywood star versus being an outstanding social worker, and so on. So maybe we have a misconstrued of what we want to be special at. However, regardless what it may be, most people just want to be special at whoever they are or at whatever they do. Okay, so now let's question, what does it mean to be special? And whatever special does mean, is it received by nature or by nurture? Or is it received by merits of our parents known as schut avot? Or is it achieved by one's own hard work? And finally, the big question here is, what can only being special accomplish that not being special can't accomplish? That's what we're going to go ahead and look into here. So just that you know, this lecture is based on a mimer, a mystical teaching of the Rebbe of Blessed Memory delivered on this Shabbos in 1965, in which the Rebbe explains why in this week's Torah portion, the Torah interrupts itself in the middle of discussing of Moses going to speak with Pharaoh to tell us the lineage of Moses and the age of Moses, okay? Don't we already know who Moses is? We discussed it in the last week's Torah portion. And second of all, the verse states that Moses was 80 years old. However, Moses was actually 79 years old. Please go ahead and open up the link of the handout or I'll just show it to you here. And we're gonna go quickly through the timeline of Moses and the Exodus. Okay, let's go ahead and go through that. Um, so Moses died at the age of 120, exactly to the day. Uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy, today I am 120 years old. And we literally know that he meant today, that he was actually, he passed away on his birthday. Um, uh, he, sorry about that. He passed away on his birthday, the 7th of Adar. Okay, so... We now know that Moses was 120 years when he died. He died right before the Jews entered into Israel with Joshua. Um, how long did Moses and the Jews wander in the desert? For 40 years. 
So if we take 40 years minus 180, that means from the actual Exodus, Moses was 80 years old. Now, Moses was actually 80 years old, one month and one week about, because the Exodus took place on Passover, which is the 15th day of the month of Nisan, while the uh, birthday of Moses was on the seventh day of Adar. So take the three weeks from Adar, take the two weeks from from uh, Nisan, and you have that Moses was 80 years old and one month and one week. Okay, now, so he was 120 years old when he left Egypt. However, the verse says he was, I'm sorry, he was 80 years old when he left Egypt. However, the verse says that he was actually 80 years old when he spoke to Pharaoh. Okay, how much time was there since Moses spoke to Pharaoh and then left Egypt? Well, actually, we're taught that Moses spoke to Pharaoh precisely 12 months or about 12 months before they left Egypt. What's the calculation? So you go ahead and you look in the handout and you'll see that each uh, our sages tell us, Rashi tells us in this week's Torah portion that each plague, he warned them for three weeks and then the plague happened for a week. The only exception to that is on the 10th plague, which is the final plague, the death of the firstborn, because right before that, Pharaoh tells Moses, be careful not to see me again, because the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. So on the spot, Moses warns him of the 10th plague one time, and then that night, it actually takes place. So we have the 10 plagues taking place in nine months. However, our sages tell us that Moses actually went into um, hiding. He went into being with himself for three months after the first time he spoke to Pharaoh and Pharaoh actually reacted by making things worse for the Jewish people, not giving them the supplies, but demanding the same quota of bricks. So they had to make their own bricks and then lay the same quota. So uh, Moses then went into hiding for three months. And uh, three months plus the nine months is 12 months, which means that Moses was approximately 79 years old, one month, one week, when he told Pharaoh that when he went to speak to Pharaoh. And yet the verse makes a point of saying not that he was 79 years old, but that he was 80 years old. So the question here is why? What is the secret of the number 80 that the Torah wants to say that he was 80 years old? Okay, so a little introduction. Uh, what is the definition of special? So I looked it up in the dictionary. It's an adjective, it's a noun. As an adjective, it means better, greater, or otherwise different from what is usual. Okay, so different from what is usual, greater, better. In the spiritual realms, there are different levels of specialness. We're going to discuss here three levels of specialness. Shabbat, which is number seven, the seventh day, eight, and crown. And now, let the lecture begin. Okay, so as we always do, we're going to list for you a couple of mystical topics that we're going to explore uh, based on the Mimer of the Rebbe. And then we're going to bring it back to the modern day practical issue of why is it that people yearn to be special? What is going on there? And what is the definition of being special? So the list of the mystical concepts is 
Number one, seven, which is about Shabbat. Number two, eight, which is the emanation of understanding. Number three, two of God's names. One is Shin Dalad Yud, spelled as pronounced as S-H-A-D-A-I. And the other is the ineffable tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton means the name of four letters. Now, while we go ahead and we say that um, we pronounce it today with A-D-O-N-A-I, but that is not the correct pronunciation. We simply don't know the correct pronunciation. So we're going to talk about the difference of those two names of God, because every name of God talks about a different experience of divinity and revelation. Let's talk about that. And then finally, we're going to talk about the supernal crown, which is the power of will. And now let the amazement of Hasidus begin. So the reason why the Torah suddenly stops to tell us the lineage and the age of Moses is because, according to Pinchas Alevi um, Horowitz, the man who wrote the book called the Yafat Panim Yafat, and he explains that really what it's all about is to teach us that Moses was the seventh generation of Abraham, and why so? And the reason is because the Medrash, our sages, tell us all sevens are precious. And it goes on to list the different things of seven. It talks about the seven heavens with the seventh heaven being precious. It talks about the seven lands with the seventh land being precious. Then it talks about in the generations, it, it leads up to Moses was the seventh generation from Abraham. One of the things that it mentions there, which is most recognizable to us, is that the seventh day of the week is special, Shabbat. So there's something special about Shabbat. So the Torah wants to stop, pause, and tell us that why was Moses the one who was able to bring about the redemption from Egypt, the exile of Egypt, is because Moses was the seventh generation. Moses was special. Okay, let's talk about what the mystical secrets behind the specialty of seven is. So the world was created in seven days, six days, some say six days, some count even the seventh day because on Shabbat, God created menucha, inner peace. Ba Shabbat, ba menucha. So with that being said, let's go ahead and look into the Zohar. The Zohar says on uh, Vayikra, page 85, column one, it says as follows. It questions, why does the Torah, when it talks about Shabbat, says, say, six days a week you shall work and the seventh day you shall rest. What if I'm retired? What if I don't work the six, six days? It seems to be that there's a commandment. You shall work six days. And it's not a commandment. You shall rest on Shabbat. Let's see what the Zohar says. And I quote to you. Six days shall, be, shall work be done. He asks, what are these six days? And the question is, since the verse comes to teach about Shabbat, why does it start by saying that one should work for six days unless the work itself is a mitzvah? Okay, Rabbi Yossi answers, it is written for six days God made heaven and earth. And he points out it does not say in six days, which means it's defining how long it took for God to create the world. Rather, it talks about that the six days itself created the world. God created the world through, not within, but through six days. What is that? So he goes on to explain. We have explained that each day did its work. Kol yoma avid avidita. It did its work. What does that mean? 
What it means is that we already previously explained in the Zohar that the six days, the seven days, refer to the seven emotion emanations. That's why if you look, the first emanation is kindness. What did God create on Sunday? He created light, revelation. Then on the second day, the second emanation is justice, strictness, defining boundaries. What did God do on the second day? He defined the boundaries between heaven and earth, and he gathered the waters, creating a boundary between the waters and the land. And uh, so too, all the boundaries that took place on the second day is about the emanation of justice, defining boundaries. And if you follow through all the seven days, you'll see, for example, let's jump to the last two. The sixth day is the emanation of foundation, Yisod. Well, what, who was created on that day? It was the foundation of all of creation, which is the human race, mankind. Shabbat is the, the emanation of malchut, kingship, regality. What is Shabbat all about? Precisely, regality. So there we see that the seven days of nature, creating the forces of nature, is the seven emotion emanations. Now, these seven are divided into two. There are the six weekdays, and then there's the special Shabbat. Thus, by saying Moses was the seventh, seventh are precious, seventh are, are special, and thus it was that Moses carried the power to be able to bring about that the redemption within creation should take place because the forces of nature had a hostile takeover by exile. Thus came along the seventh, the specialty within nature to redeem nature, bring out redemption. Okay? And that is because, as we mentioned, Moses being the seventh, the feminine mystique of emanation of kingship, represents the, special, the specialness of Shabbat within nature. Okay, now, if you want to see in the handout, I put that in the link, you'll be able to see the lineage of Moses, Moses' family tree. So we'll just go through it quickly. Abraham was the first generation. His son was Isaac and Yishmael. That's the second generation. Isaac's son was Jacob and Esau. That's the third generation. Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. The third son, Levi, which is the fourth generation, had three sons, Gershon, Kahat, and Merari. That's the fifth generation. Kahat had four sons, Amram, Isar, Hebron, and Uziel. That's the sixth generation. Amram had three children, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. That's the seventh generation. So Moses is the seventh generation. Okay, now let's jump into the next level of specialness. Besides being special within nature, because he was Shabbat, the seventh, we're now going to go to a level of specialness which transcends the forces of nature. And that is number eight. So let's talk about it. Moses is called 80. Why? That's the next level up in specialness. Let's talk about why. So in the realms of holiness, we need to understand that there's always unity, which means intercompilation. For example, um, when we punish our child, is that an act of kindness or is that an act of strictness? Well, it's an act of strictness, but really it's about kindness. Make a mensch. Woe to the child who grows up without understanding consequences. So too, 
when we talk about when we don't punish our child, we just let him get away and get whatever he or she wants. Is that an act of kindness or is that an act of strictness? Well, that is an act of kindness, but it's actually strictness because we're not doing a child a favor by giving them a sense of entitlement. So when we talk about this, we understand now that each of the emanations is a compilation of all the others. So there's 10 emanations, three intellects, seven emotions. Now, if each one is compiled of all the others, then the seven emanations equal 70, seven times 10. And thus King David talks about the natural force of life is 70 years. 80, he mentions, is outstanding. Why? So I need to pause for a moment and share with you another interesting mystical concept. When we talk about three heads, the parents which give birth to the offsprings, so we talk about wisdom, understanding, knowledge, because the way the human being should experience his emotions is not through fatuity or of fear of the unknown. That's a fool's fear, and fatuity is a fool's love. What actually should happen is when the mind concentrates, understands, meditates, and truly internalizes that which is good, that should create love for that. While on the other hand, when we talk about that which is dangerous, that which is not good, is should create the emotion of distaste and disconnect. So we wake up we, where we start our life with the sense of I want what I want, what gives me pleasure, and I don't want to have to work. That's where the emotions are when we start off as an infant. But as we grow up, we start learning. Exercise is not fun all the time but it's good, so we want exercise. Um, eating uh, sugar or things which are unhealthy is tastes good, but it's actually not good. So we learn to not actually want that. With that being said, let's talk about God. If you tell me that you love God and you cannot write a 10-page essay on what the God of your understanding is, I question whether you love God or you just have a fatuation with God, which isn't substantial and won't overcome hurdles. If you tell me that you stand in awe of God, but you cannot write for me a 10-page essay of what is great and awesome about God, I question that. Do you really have awe? Or is it just a child's fear, which isn't real? It comes and goes. So the emotions are the offsprings of the intellects. With that being said, I want to take it to the next level. There's two ways to count the three heads. I told you wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Wisdom is the father, understanding is the mother, knowledge and consummation. But in the Zohar, it has another way of counting it, which is crown, wisdom, understanding. Now, if we follow that type of counting, what will actually take place is if you go from 10 back, you have seven emotions. Number eight is understanding. Thus, we now see that the emanation of understanding is eight. Now, understanding is primordial. When it says that God wrote the Torah 2,000 years before the uh, world was created, <coughs> excuse me, Rabbi Isaac Luria explains that that is impossible because there was no concept of time before the world was created. The first thing God created, according to Masricha Magid, in the Bet of Bereshit, the two founding overall um, definition of Creation is time and space. And being that it's time and space, so time was created 
at the first moment of creation. So how can we have the Torah 2,000 years before creation? Thus, he says the word Eleph, which means thousand, also means Aalefcha, which means teacher. Thus, the primordial existence before the world was the wisdom and understanding of God, which is the Torah. Thus, we see that the wisdom and understanding is a transnatural force. Those two emanations are above the forces of nature, for the forces of nature comes from specifically the seven emotions. The seven emotions are called in Kabbalah small faces because they are small in comparison to the transcendence into the intellects of wisdom and understanding. Now, if you count backwards, you have the seven emotions, and then the next one on top of that is understanding. If we're going to say crown, wisdom, understanding, and replace knowledge with crown. And the Zohar explains, and Hasidus explains why exactly those two are interchangeable. One is the interior of the other. With, without getting into that, what we now have is that eight from the bottom up is understanding. Thus, when we say that each, each emanation has the compilation, the inner compilation of all other emanations, so eight is really 80. So when we say that Moses is 80, what are we saying? That Moses has the specialness of transcending beyond the forces of nature. Thus, Moses alone is able to bring about redemption to the forces of nature. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham is kindness, Isaac is justice, Jacob is compassion. They are the forces of divinity within nature, the seven emotions, and thus they cannot bring about a redemption to the hostile takeover of the forces of nature by Pharaoh and evil. Thus we need Moses, which is 80, which is the eighth emanation, that of understanding, that of the primordial, transnatural to bring about the, the uh, redemption. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. Okay, and now we're going to understand something very beautiful. First of all, I just want to point out that the fact that Moses is the seventh, which is Shabbat, which is kingship, and the, and the fact that Moses is eight, which is the emanation of understanding, in Kabbalah works hand in hand because understanding is the mother the six weekdays are the sons, predatory. The seventh kingship is the feminine mystique. It's regality. Thus, you can put the two together because mother, daughter, our sages say, like mother, like daughter. Now with understanding who Moses is in relationship to the forefathers, they are the emotions, which are the divine force within nature, Moses is understanding, 80, which is that he transcends beyond nature. We now understand the two opening verses of our Torah portion. Let's read it, okay? So what does the verse say? The verse says, God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I am Havaya. Havaya is not the right pronunciation of the Tetragrammaton. A, I told you we don't have the right pronunciation. And even the pronunciation that we use in prayers, A-D-O-N-A-I, one should not write or say in vain. So in Kabbalah and Hasidus, when we want to say God's ineffable tetragrammaton, we say the word Havaya. Okay, so let's go back to the verse. I am Havaya, God said to Moses. 
Then he goes on and says, I appeared to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob with the name Kale Shakai. I'm pronouncing them wrong. It's E-I-L-S-H-A-D-A-I. We don't pronounce them correctly. But with my name Havaya, I did not become known to them. Okay, let's turn to the handout again. I want to show you something interesting. There you have the Hebrew word. You see it for the top over there. It says Shin Dalid Yud. I separated the letters because we don't write them together. Then the next line, I separated it into two words. She Dai. You'll recognize the word Dai from the word Dayenu. Dai, Dayenu. Dayenu means enough. So that means our sages tell us why was God called Shin Dalid Yud? He was called that because She Dai because he's the one that told his world enough. He told his world, I don't want an infinite world, I want a finite world, and thus die. Which now tells us that the name of God, Shindalajud, refers to the power of finite divinity having a finite world. Okay, now let's look at the next name of God that we're gonna talk about, Ineffable Tetragrammaton, Tetra means four, grammaton, the four-letter name, and it's yud and a hey and a vav and a hey. So in prayers, we need to know what we're talking about. So the Code of Jewish Law gives us two definitions that we should concentrate on when we say God's ineffable tetragrammaton name. One of those two is that the letters yud, hey, vav, hey, within one word, you have spelled hoya, hoive, and yie. He was, he is, and he will be all as one. What that means is, and as I told you, the definition, the most deepest definition, basic, fundamental definition of creation is time and space. When we say that God was, is, and will be as one, we're talking about the level of divinity, which is infinite in the sense that it transcends beyond space. Was, is, and will be all happens in one, at one time. The uh, Rebbe, blessed memory, once explained the question of Maimonides, how can there not be a contradiction between God knows what I'm going to do and my freedom of choice? If God's knowledge actually is incumbent upon, I'm going to do what God knows. And the answer is, and it's very hard to understand, Maimonides says the human mind cannot wrap itself around this. But the reason God knows the future is not because he's a prophet and he knows the future. But being that by God, future, past and present coexist the future already existed. Thus God knows what I'm going to do because in God's realm, I already did it. Now that is a total transcendence beyond nature. Now we understand what the verse is saying. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, giants, are patriarchs. And they are the ones who actually founded all of divinity within the universe. Abraham was the one that proclaimed God's name. He fathered our nation. And nevertheless, Abraham represents the divinity within creation, which is the name of Shin Yud, die, enough, finite. Therefore, Abraham cannot bring a redemption to the world because his connection is with the level of divinity within the world. It's only Moses of who God says that I am Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. I am giving you my name and my revelation and the empowerment of transcendence. Thus, you can bring about a redemption to the, to, to the universe, the forces of nature. Okay, I want to talk about one more thing. So, 
Later on in the book of, Deuter in the book of Numbers, a King Bullock hires um, a prophet to curse the Jewish people. He says that Jacob taught us, I'm sorry, Isaac taught us that the hands are the hands of Esau, the mouth is the mouth of Jacob. Our sages say that the power of the Jewish people lies within their mouth, Torah study, prayer. So therefore he says, listen, God is performing miracles on the level of war, so I'm going to meet them at their battlefield of mouth versus mouth. And thus he hires the prophet Bilam. And what does Bilam say? Bilam, the first time he goes into prophetic mode, and he says the following, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I invoke wrath if God has not been angered? For from the beginning, I see them as mountain peaks, and I behold them as hills. Now our sages say, mountain peaks, hills. It says, our mountain peaks is our patriarchs, our patriarchs, and the hills are our matriarchs. We, the children, including the seventh generation Moses, are dependent upon our patriarchs. Let's talk about this. So Bilaam doesn't say, no, I can't curse them. They got Moses. I can't curse them. Moses is too powerful. No, he doesn't say that. He says, oh, if it was just for Moses, I'd curse them. The reason I can't curse them is because they're the patriarchs, the mountain peaks, the matriarchs, the hills. Now, here's an interesting fact. The verse says that there has not and will not arise another prophet in Israel amongst the Jews as Moses. But why does it just say there won't be another prophet like Moses? Why does it add on the word in Israel, within the Jewish people, the children of Israel? And the answer is because Bilaam was the true nemesis of Moses. Bilaam, who was not a Jew, was a prophet equivalent to the level of Moses. Thus, therefore, it only says within the Jewish people, because outside of the Jewish people, there was a prophet as powerful as Moses. Thus, Bilaam is not afraid of Moses. Bilaam's not afraid to curse the Jewish people just because they have Moses. But he is saying, I can't mess with the Jewish people because they have the patriarchs. That means even Moses needs the patriarchs. Now, how does that work? If we just explain that the patriarchs are the Shindalad Yud, they're the emotions, they're the force, the finite divinity within the realm of the universe and creation. And then we go ahead and we say that Moses is 80. He's the eight. He's transcendence. He's beyond the power of creation. Then why does Moses need the forefathers? Let's talk about it in the practical sense. Moses is the seventh. The seventh to what? The seventh to the first. In other words, without the first, there isn't a seventh. That means that Moses actually needs Abraham. But why? The answer here is something very interesting. Within the universe, the patriarchs represent the emotions, kindness, justice, compassion. However, what is their source? To understand what is their source, we need to ask ourselves a simple question. What is the inner life force of every emotion we have? It all boils down to to want or not to want. I love that which I want. I hate that which I don't want. I'm afraid of that which I, I don't want. And therefore, this concept of the inner source of the emotions is the power of will. Now, let's talk about the power of will. We all know in English we say, if there's a will, there's a way. In the Torah, we say, nothing stands in the way of the power of will. If that be the case, 
Why? The answer is because all the faculties, when God said, let us make mankind in our image and likeness, God has no image, God has no likeness. So what is the verse talking about? So we're talking about not that God created us in the image of the essence, because the image has no essence. God created us in the image of the infinite light. Now, what is the infinite light? The infinite light has 10 emanations. Thus, God created us with 10 faculties. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, right? And then it's actually right, left. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and then the seven emotions. Now, what is this all about? What this is all about is that the soul, or let's talk about the infinite light for a moment. The infinite light is colorless, formless, has no attributes. And thus, how does the infinite relate to the finite? And the answer is that God created a transformer system as, let's say, a colored glass stained window. So when the colorless light shines through a red glass, we now have red light. So too with everything else. Thus, we say that God created vessels through which the infinite light shines. The vessel of kindness means that now the infinite light is shining through kindness. And so too with everything else. Thus, we tell God on the high holidays, arise from the throne of justice and sit on the throne of, of um, compassion and kindness. Well, there's a little issue here. Well, human beings, you know, for meditation, the reason we put our fingers like this is because when you do certain things, you go into a certain mode and people have a meditative chair and they only sit in that chair when they meditate. But that's not the way God works. What if God's sitting in the throne of justice, he's only justice. And if he's sitting in the, in the throne of compassion, he's only compassion. No, what we're saying is the throne represents the vessel, the finite expression of the infinite. Thus we tell God, please do not shine your infinite light through justice for who can stand in the face of your justice. Rather, please shine your infinite light through the vessel of compassion and kindness. So there's the faculties of the soul, which is the finite expressions of the soul. However, there's also the essence. When we talk about the emotions, we're talking about a defined description of the essence of the soul in the mode of love, desire, wanting, closeness, in the mode of the expression of awe, distance, fear, and so forth and so on. Therefore, emotions are not all that powerful. Powerful, but not all that powerful. The power of will has something amazing. The power of will isn't just a finite expression of, but it brings the essence of the soul into the picture. And thus, when there's a will, there's a way, and nothing can stand before the power of will. We need to be clear here. How oh, when I was a kid, Monday, I wanted to be a singer. Tuesday, I wanted to be a fireman. Wednesday, I wanted power of will. I want, I want, I want. No. Any want that comes from the outside in is not the power of will that we're talking about. The power of will that we're talking about here is the one that comes from the inside out. Not that I want what I see, but rather I want what I am. I, I want because I am. That's a different level of will. That comes from the essence of your being. And thus the power of will is infinite because it draws the essence of the soul into that which you want. Therefore, when we're talking about the power of will from the inside out, we're talking about there's 10 faculties, right? The three intellects, the seven emotions. However, above the brain, there is the corona, that part of the skull, the crown, which we call supernal will. 
Thus, in essence, it is true that the supernal will is abstract. But on the other hand, the power of knowledge, the power of understanding, the power of Moses, even though it's mighty, it's in the brain, it's not the small faces of the emotion, it's the big faces of the intellect. But nevertheless, that's linear. Even though it's primordial, but understanding King David calls in chapter 113, which we say as Hallel, the aim habanim semechem, the mother of children is happy. Mother of children. Thus, there's already a relationship even within that linear power, great power of the intellects with the emotions. Thus, Moses in his own right cannot bring about the redemption because we need something which is completely transcendent, and that is the supernal crown, the power of will. Thus, when we have the power of will, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the inner power of the emotions, now we can empower Moses to go ahead and bring about the redemption. So what we're seeing here is something very interesting. The forefathers, even as the power of will, is too abstract. It's like the earth or the womb without the seed. Yes, they have the infinite power of procreation, but without the seed, it won't be brought into the universe. It's an all-encompassing power. Thus, Moses cannot work without the forefathers, and the forefathers can't work without Moses. The power of true redemption and transcendence is within the forefathers, but it's abstract. We don't bring it in. While Moses, which is the almighty, powerful Shabbat, and even greater than that, the almighty, powerful um, uh, eight, 80, understanding. However, even that is connected to the nature, the forces of nature, and thus cannot bring redemption for the forces of nature. However, when Moses is built upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when it's the power of will that's brought down in the pragmatic form of understanding and action, thought, speech, and action, that's how we bring the infinite power of redemption into the finite universe. And Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, in closing, we need to bring this back to practical why do humans so yearn to be special? And the answer is very simple. What we're truthfully yearning for is to be able to experience the higher self. Let's talk about it from a scientific point of view. So you have the reptilian brain, always in fight or flight. You have the limbic brain. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. And then you have the frontal cortex, the power of intellect, the power of making choices, the power of understanding. So the power of being special is telling us, I don't want to live a rat race. I don't want to be in the reptilian brain always about the me, 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 survival, fight or fight, fight or fight, fight or fight. I don't even want to live just in the throes of emotions. Every day, a different emotion, mood swings. I want to live within the truest gift to the human being, the frontal cortex, the power of choice, the power of making decisions, the power of understanding consequences, the power of going beyond me, 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 me. It gets even further than that. 
in truth, we want to live and we yearn to live even beyond the frontal cortex. We want to understand the true power of will of our soul from the inside out. Who is my soul and what does my soul want to do? If I can connect with the power of will, I can truly embrace that awesome question. What is my mission in life? That comes from the corona, the skull on top of the brain, not just the brain. Yes, we have the frontal cortex, but there's something even more powerful than that. And it is the power to be or not to be. And then we have the power of will from the inside out to want and not to want because I am what I am. This is the power of yearning for specialness, level after level. The seventh, the eighth, frontal cortex, the power of will, the crown. Now the practical question is, how do we climb those ranks? From lower self to middle self to higher self to higher self. Three steps. Step number one, you can't yearn for what you don't know. If all I know about myself is the rat race, the fight or flight, I can't yearn to be higher. Thus, we must learn. And we must learn Hasidis to understand what lies within our soul. What specialness, level after level, higher and higher. So we need to have Torah study of Hasidis to understand what specialness lies within me and thus I can yearn for it. But even when I know what specialness lies within me, and even when I yearn for it, there's always the, afraid of, the fear of change. We all say we want to change, but we're so afraid to change. Why? Because my character defects that I use is actually my survival mode. I have my character defects because in my family dynamics, I needed to pick up these defects in order to survive, to be able to live amongst my colleagues, to be able to live amongst the other humans, to deal with life. I had to protect myself with certain shields of how to deal with this. And the shields are the character defects. And now I want to change. What does that mean? Transparency? Really? I'm going to let people know who I really am? And I still expect to have friends? Am I going to not try to connive another dollar, another white lie, another this? How am I ever going to make it in this world? It's very scary to leave go of our character defects. It's what keeps us alive. And thus, we need prayer. Prayer is connecting with God, asking God, please, God, give me courage. Now, the definition of brave is not someone who has no fears. The definition of brave is someone who has fears and does it anyway. And that is done by connecting to a higher power. We connect through prayer. So we have Torah study to know what specialness lies within us. Then we pray to be able to let go of the old us, the character defects which kept us alive and then to be able to change. And then comes the final step. It has been said that we cannot always think our way into doing, but we can do our way into thinking. And that is action. Small steps of courageous actions, fearless actions, honest actions. Thus we need to study, thus we need to pray, thus we need to do. And actually, what I'm telling you is, that the pathway from the lower self to the middle self to the higher self to the highest self is the three pillars with, with which ethics of our fathers say upon which the macroscopic universe and the microscopic human stand upon. Torah study, prayer, 
and good deeds. My friends, you are special because God has planted within us specialness. Learn about it. Pray to let go of the old and embrace the specialness. And then step by step, action by action, deed by deed, become the specialness you are. Thank you.